Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for finding Whitehall Sources. Before we get stuck into the politics for you, a quick message from the resident. These hotels, like their choice in podcasts, are exceptional. Whether you're traveling for business or leisure, at The Resident, you're offered the best rooms, prices, and advice for your needs as well. We are so thrilled to be brought to you in association with The Resident, who have proudly backed us since day one. When we're booking a stay in London or Liverpool, it's The Resident we head to, and it's The Resident you should head to. To find out more, click residenthotels.com. of poverty is through work, Mr Speaker, uh, and, the most, and the best way to ensure that children do not grow up in poverty is to ensure that they do not grow up in a workless household. Uh, that's why we are focused on creating more jobs. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources. We're recording on Thursday the 20th of July. Thanks for being with us. I'm Callum MacDonald and here is Kirsty Buchanan, former special advisor to Theresa May when she was Prime Minister. Hello, Kirsty. Hello. You well? Hello. I am all right, thank you. Yes, I'm good. I'm good. I'm psyched. I'm going to see Hamilton this evening with my family. Um, the sun is still, yeah, it's still shining. Uh, but more importantly, how are you? How are you doing? Um, well, uh, first round of chemo tick. Um, uh, yeah, it's kicking my ass at the moment. I'm not gonna, mm. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um, but you know, millions of people get through it. I'll get through it too. So. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've got me on a good day. <laughs> okay. Well, we, I mean, I have to say, the fact you're even doing this while in the middle of chemo is just quite astonishing. So thanks for taking the time. Um, we love having you on. I was actually, I've had, uh, I had a message. So a few weeks ago, I couldn't go to one of my really good friend's weddings because my sister and I had arranged a holiday abroad before we got the date of the wedding. So we were away. So we tuned into the live stream and everything. Uh, but then later that evening, one of my other friends messaged me and said, why are you not here? Why are you not at the reception? I was like, well, I'm on holiday, I'm on holiday. And she said, I was hoping you were going to bring Kirsty as your plus one. And uh, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is my friend Ali, who loves listening to the podcast. So there you are. Um, we're very Thank glad you, Ellie. Basically, very, is very the point kind. I'm making. Just, just, just right. what I needed. <laughs> oh, Do you know what all, else you need? Pickups and love, all pickups and love gratefully received right now. Oh. Well, there you are. You heard it. The email address is hello at whitehallsources.com. Just a little sentence or two to say hello to Kirsty's very welcome. I tell you what else will pick you up then is talking about Nigel Farage. 
it's good fun, isn't it? Uh, there's so uh, for those who have not been keeping up to date with uh, rich people complaining about which bank account they may or may not have access to, uh, Nigel Farage has been complaining in the last few days that his bank account with Coots, uh, which is really quite exclusively for people with lots of money, i.e., more than a million pounds, um, that his bank account was closed and that this was down to his political views uh, primarily. Uh, now, an internal review. Um, referred to him as a disingenuous grifter whose views could be regarded as xenophobic and racist. And Coots has faced lots of criticism from ministers over the last couple of days for deciding to close bank accounts, including, by the way, from Rishi Sunak, who said, This is wrong. No one should be barred from using basic services for their political views. Free speech is the cornerstone of our democracy. Um, Nigel Farage has been really quite vocal about this, as you might imagine, and the Times reports today that ministers are now considering making free speech protections a condition of permits for banking after the closure of Nigel Farage's account because his views, quote, did not align with our values. Um, figurehead of Farage aside, is there a freedom of speech issue here? Uh, <laughs> it is hard to see how Coots could have played this worse, um, uh, to be honest with you. they uh, First of all, they presented this to him without any explanation whatsoever. Now, look, this is... I appreciate boohoo rich people's problems, but regardless of, uh, you know, people's views about the man at the centre of this story, you know, they'd approached him without any explanation as to why, uh, after many decades, they were closing his account. Um, He then pushed back in the media on it. They then briefed that it was because he had fallen below the financial threshold... At which point, of course, you know, they made the fatal mistake of thinking that someone like Farage would back off. Um, And, of course, what he did was put in a subject access request. So subject access requests are a little bit like freedom of information requests, but they're made by an individual about their their own individual notes. So, in other words, there are a number of organisations I can write to to demand to see everything that they have written about me and they are legally obliged to hand that over. Now, of course, what they've handed over to Farage uh, amounts to a sort of smoking gun from his ongoing PR war, which is full of factual inaccuracies and heavy bias uh, about his political views, which has made it clear that that is the reason with which they decided to stop his account, because it doesn't align with their values. Now, there is a principal point here, I think, You can have this one way or you can have it the other, but Coots have tried to have it both ways. And that is where their PR problem lies. And that's why it's like, you know, five Mm. nil to Farage at the moment on this one. Because, look, you're perfectly entitled, you're perfectly entitled as any organisation to say, these are our values. Mm. These are the values that we think it's important to uphold. And as a consequence of this, you know, th- these are the sorts of people we will or will not do business with, right? People do it in pension funds, they do it in purchases of free-range eggs, you know, fair trade tea bags. Moral components of consumer decision-making is part and parcel of of our society. But what you can't do is uh, take that decision without being honest and open and transparent about it. So there is perfectly a world where Coots or any other bank, you know, uh, gets the approval of its shareholders to say... Openly and transparently, these are our values. Openly and transparently, if people do not accord with our values, we reserve the right 
to remove their custom. They didn't do that. They gave him no explanation. Then they briefed incorrectly about why they'd taken the decision they have. And they have pushed ahead with something on the basis of political bias without being open and transparent about what it is that they want to see from both their organisation and the customers they serve. And that's why... You know, they've ended up, you know, getting such a kicking on this today. So it's just really badly handled by Cooch. It has been a really badly handled... They should have been listening to your rules of comms over the last few months in this podcast, Kirsty, basically, to, uh, to outline it all. I suppose um, one of the sort of interesting notes in all of this, by the way, clients are required to maintain at least £1 million in investments or borrowing, brackets mortgage, or £3 million in savings. And so that's the financial thresholds that we're talking about here. Is there a... Is there any potential PR issue for the government here? Nigel Farage has praised this suggestion that ministers are kind of intervening and they're speaking out about all of this. He said it's, he welcomed one of the swiftest interventions I've seen by government for many, many years. He said he thought MPs were beginning to realise this system is coming for them as well. Is there a potential PR thing here in the government acting so swiftly on behalf of rich people, including Nigel Farage, while the rest of us with our basic high street banks... Um, don't get this sort of preferential treatment. I'm just wondering if there's a way to sp- that that could be spun against the government. Well, I think you should determine what the government is saying and what they actually do, and I suspect mm. those are going to be two totally different things. There is a principle at stake here, which they have quite rightly identified, whether, <laughs> given where we are in the parliamentary cycle and all the many, many, many issues that the government faces at the moment, this is a priority for them is is you know is just not happening is it so mm. you can you can get an easy headline you can you can play to your core vote about the importance of free speech and the encroaching you know corporate wokery of of british public life and british private companies but um but ultimately you know i don't see anybody making any time in the legislative timetable to make this happen even if it was you know frankly a negative SI, which is something that you can bring in without any debate at all. It just doesn't seem a priority. Good headline, mm. but not a priority. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Good headline. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm so intrigued by the conversation it's, it's sparked. And just to add to the dossier, the 40-page dossier that Farage got from the bank, as you say, that he requested, uh, his views did not align with our values. And it said the relationship had been below commercial criteria for some time. And his economic contribution was, quote, now sufficient to retain on a commercial basis. It's all very murky, and it is a PR issue. Nigel Farage, of course, is also somebody who has quite a huge platform from which to shout. And that was noted in the dossier as well, that actually, you know, if they were to use their words, if they were to exit him from the bank, he would use his considerable public platform to draw attention to the fact and create this this actual storm. Um what about this detail? Well, that's one thing that oh, on. that's one thing that Cooch did get right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah, they predicted that, and that's come true. Not for the first time. I'm going to take some inspiration from Tim Shipman, um, who's chief political commentator of the Sunday Times, and whom we heart on this program, who has been tweeting a lot on this, and very, very helpfully. Um, the big picture of the Coots affair is that business people spend a lot of time criticising politicians, but those who go into politics are usually crap at it because they are wholly unused to the levels of scrutiny it brings. Here, a whole company has been caught out. Um, hilarious, says Tim Shipman. Uh, he also uh, has got... And, go on. Sorry, can I just... And that is a very... That is the critical point here. You know, you can behave like a bank or you can behave like a political organisation, right? Mm. But you cannot 
do both without some sort of transparency on it. And if you want to make political value judgments about your customers, then you better be open and transparent about it before you do so. Nice. Yeah, exactly. I think that is that is a very good point to make. Um, they, he also points to the fact that Coots has links to other controversial figures, including mafia bosses, dictators and Russian oligarchs. Um, so that's notable. And then this, I think, is quite a nice conclusion. Tim Shipman, the hilarious thing about the Coots affair is that my really posh rich mates regard Coots as a rather tawdry institution for its celebrity and lottery winner clients, the real poshels bank at whores. Apparently, <laughs> says Tim, <laughs> which, which I think is quite it, fun. It, just, just to prove how unposh I am, I've never heard of that. Bank at where? Uh, whores, but it, it's spelled... Whores? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> okay. It is spelled H-O-A-R-E apostrophe S. <laughs> For the avoidance of any doubt. For the avoidance of any doubt. Uh, I, <laughs> I bank at first direct. <laughs> There you are. Me too. <laughs> rah, rah, first direct. Very good. Well done. Oh, dear. Right, your thoughts on Nigel Farage. Very welcome. Hello at whitehallsources.com is the email address to get in touch. Because it does provoke an interesting conversation. And I think you have to... There's an element of this, isn't there, where you do have to park the Nigel Farage bit because he's a controversial figure. And I imagine some of you listening to this are not particular fans of Farage. But actually, doesn't this conversation represent a lot more than that? And that is the point that we're getting at. Uh, right, let's go on to Labour's slightly messy week, shall we? Um, in the run-up to by-elections, which are taking place as we record, which means that's all we're allowed to say about them, that polls are open uh, in the by-elections, in three by-elections indeed. But in the run-up to this, um, Labour, they've had a, a really quite difficult week internally and with pressure from outside as well. And it all started on Sunday when Sir Keir Starmer told Laura Koonsberg on the BBC that Labour would not change the policy on the two-child benefit limit, um, which comes in for a lot of criticism as being unfair, as being ineffective, and actually really driving child poverty. I suppose the first thing about this to consider is the internal storm that it caused among Labour MPs. Meg Hillier, uh, and ch who's chair of the Public Accounts Committee in the Commons, said, I was never comfortable about having the child benefit cap come in. Personally, I'd be lobbying for a lifting of that. Rosie Duffield, Labour MP, uh, described the two-child policy as one of the most unpleasant pieces of legislation ever to have been passed in the UK. Uh, and so it went on, really, through the week. But it, what, what is this strategising from Sir Keir Starmer? The defence of it has been, we can't commit to spending money we don't have, to paraphrase. Uh, it is part and parcel of the slow um, uh, capturing of the policy platform in the run-up to the next election is a very firm centre Blairite policy platform which basically makes the point uh, to coin a phrase that there's no money left. Mm. Um, we've already seen uh, we've already seen Starmer row back on um, promises of £28 billion worth of investment in, uh, in, in green projects and green industries, part of its prosperity plan. And that's been parked in a as and when funds will allow. Um, and this takes it a step further to say, look, we don't we don't have the money for this. Um, it is, uh, for obvious reasons, created howls of protest from the left of the party because, you know, you get to a point where you think, well, you know, if there are no dividing lines between the Conservatives and Labour over what they will do, then what is the, morally, what is the point? 
Um, and there's also potentially, and I say only potentially, a danger here that if you push too hard on this without creating the sunny uplands bit that comes at the end of the hard work, that you're back into saying, you know, vote Labour, get austerity 2.0. So it's, you know, like everything else at the moment, it's kind of a high-risk strategy, but I think it's fair to say that, you know, you know, this is about the ascendancy of Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves and, you know, the capture of, of Lotto, the, you know, the leader's opposition uh, office by by the kind of Blairite wing uh, of the party over and above uh, the centre-left at this stage. Um, you know, now cynics could say, look, you know, this is about getting votes uh, and getting into power. You can do what you like once you're in power, but first of all, you've got to get there. Mm. And that means you've got to convince people that you have you know, sensible, economic, credible policies. And, you know, whatever else we've got at the moment, we need to remind ourselves that the legacy that, you know, Sunak is battling with at the moment is exactly the same legacy that any government that comes in in an election next year will also be battling with. None of this is going to magically disappear overnight. We've got, you know, horrendous debt problems, you know, economic, social problems, soaring inflation and interest rates. Uh, none of this is is easy to solve stuff, and you need to be mm. able to get to grips with the finances after you know an extraordinary period of public spending. Uh, it you know it cannot go on like that, and that means that means some tough choices, and and this is one of them. Yeah, it's uh, the cap is interesting. The, the, just the numbers on it. It came into force in twenty seventeen. Uh, so for those of you not familiar, it restricts child tax credit and universal credit to the first two children of a family, and there are only a few exceptions to that. The Child Poverty Action Group estimates that removing the limit would cost £1.3 billion a year, but it would lift 250,000 children out of poverty overnight. Uh, and so those are the numbers that are being uh, sort of uh, fought over, I guess. Uh, and this week, just to add to the... Uh, pressure on Labour, the SNP, well, performed a bit of a stunt, to be honest, but it got lots of attention uh, on Wednesday where they dished out mugs, um, basically saying, what's the difference between Labour and the Tories? And you can see the SNP campaign message, which is, what's the point of Labour? And they're kind of picking, sort of drawing on what you were saying there, Kirsty, you know, what is the distinction? Yeah, which is a great stunt by the SNP until you realise that the SNP can actually overturn this themselves in Holyrood. So if they cared that much about it, why don't they do it themselves? And just on the SNP and the Scottish implications of this, um, research commissioned by the SNP has found that the two-child benefit cap has affected more than 80,000 children in Scotland in the last year. The House of Commons Library determines that an additional 20,000 children in Scotland were placed into poverty as a result of the benefits cap. And so all of the, I mean, all of that's kind of estimates and analysis based on... Uh, a simulation, um, apparently, uh, so reports The Independent this week. If the policy was to be removed, they reckon 30,000 fewer people would be in poverty in Scotland, including those 20,000 children. Um, in terms of the money, then, it, it probably wouldn't really cost the SNP all that much to uh, to offset it. Um, it's cost families in Scotland £341.3 million is the suggestion from this analysis. Uh, but you can see you can see the messaging of the SNP there, can't you, ahead of the general election um, next year, and they've been very critical. In fact, at PMQ, Stephen Flynn of the SNP was really going for Keir Starmer rather than Rishi Sunak this week. Oh, yeah, I mean, Flynn is turning out to be quite, a, you know, quite an adept uh, operator in the House of Commons, um, and this is a good wedge issue for a, a party in desperate need of some, you know, good wedge issues at the moment. So, you know, I, I get the point behind it. I would be, uh, I'd like to see what they're, you know, 
defence lines are about you know why they haven't committed to mm. offsetting it in Holyrood in in any event. Uh, but uh, you know it does come back to the to the point, isn't it? You know the trouble with you know the trouble with balancing you know economic fiscal responsibility with uh, running a country is it all means making choices and none of them are easy. None of them are easy, mm. and so you end up mm. in a constant where do you draw the line kind of argument. Um, there's a perfectly valid argument that you don't draw it round, you know, poverty-stricken children, uh, for argument's sake. So I can, I can, I can see the, you know, I can see the imperative of it. But at the moment, you know, uh, Starmer has got uh, the blinkers on of a man that is determined not to frighten the horses. Right? He needs to be able to say to the centre-left, the, the the left wing of the Conservative Party are not going to carry Keir Starmer into power. And the Labour Party into power. What it's going to be is centrist floating voters, returning red wallers, uh, you know, potential collapse of, of support in parts of Scotland for the SNP. That's mm. what's going to carry him into power. Yeah. And he needs a broad base. This is an attempt to uh, to work towards a, a broad base. And you're you know, you're caught between the devil and the deep blue sea, right? If you say, Well, you know, we're gonna stick with it now, but sometime in the future we hope to you know, then then you're in flip flop land and if you stick to it with certainty and clarity now so that voters get the message that you mean what you say about you know economic credibility and competence so that they're not frightened to vote for you at the next election um then 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 you're accused of 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 lacking the morality and the and the and the dividing line if you like that people would want to come out and vote for you in the first place so you know it it is you know it does remind people that you know whilst you know the mood in the conservative party is uh Somewhere between the doldrums and whatever is worse than the doldrums. I can't. I, I can't think of anything at the moment. <laughs> Forgive me. Chemo brain just struck. Um, uh, but you know, just, just despite the general lack of merriment within the Conservative Party right now, this is not plain sailing for Labour. Not by a not by a long chalk. It's a very very difficult road, and it's an unprecedented swing that they need to secure to get to, to get the votes to get to number ten next year. It's, um, yeah, exactly. I think that's it in terms of how it builds up from here. Uh, something we will keep analysing for you, of course, on Whitehall Sources. Thank you for being with us. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. News has reached us from our friends at the resident hotels without whom we would not be here. This podcast is made in association with The Resident. The Resident in Covent Garden in London has been confirmed by TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Best of the Best as the number two hotel in the UK and number 15 in Europe for 2023. Already, the resident Covent Garden had a magnificent reputation. It was number one in the UK TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Best of the Best in 2022. And the resident in Victoria and the resident in Soho, both in London, feature in the UK Top 20. Add to that news that the resident in Liverpool, the resident Victoria and the resident in Kensington are all now ranked in the top 10% of hotels worldwide by TripAdvisor. Basically... What we're saying is, if you need a hotel in Liverpool or in London, 
Book the Resident. Right, let's go on. Uh, we can't talk about the by-election because of stupid rules, but we can talk about rumours of a reshuffle, uh, which uh, which have been circulating now for quite some time. And it's worth saying, both for the Labour Party and the Conservatives at this point, uh, one suggestion I heard while I was on the terrace of the House of Commons just yesterday, Kirsty, because that's how I roll. Oh, get you! Uh, one suggestion I heard was that the Labour uh, reshuffle might come in September, so actually it's kind of a hit-the-ground-running typed thing after recess. But there are still floating in the atmosphere suggestions that a <laughs> Tory reshuffle might come on Friday. Why are you shaking your head at me? I love this. So uh, this is... Uh, now, I'm going to caveat this in case by Friday I end up with egg all over my face, but... Uh, this has been doing the rounds for you know a few days, right? This we might have a reshuffle, conservative reshuffle before um, uh, before we break up for the research. I am here to tell you that this is a standard dangled trick by Number Ten, <laughs> which is currently on its knees, crawling to the door marked "Here comes summer recess," <laughs> uh, and it's just it's just one of those briefing things that it puts out there just to keep everything padded down. Um, and to you know to have no flare-ups on the very 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 unlikely prospect that they would have a reshuffle and somebody would have been disobliging to number ten, and you know where they were on the whiteboard gets ripped off all of a sudden. So it's a classic kind of dangle trick in the run-up to uh, to the summer recess from an exhausted number ten. I'm here to tell you that you know unless and I caveat unless there are circumstances that I am not aware of. Nobody in number 10 has got anything like the energy for something as destabilising and difficult as a reshuffle right now. <laughs> Nobody. They are literally hands and knees crawling towards the door. It's been a very, very long few months for them. A standard dangle trick will become the name of this episode. Thank you for that. That's great. <laughs> standard <laughs> dangle trick. Do you know as well, what do you, go, what do you think of the sort of depth that's available if there were to be a reshuffle which in theory there probably will be before the general election to kind of you know get election ready is there depth in the conservative party to 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 shuffle people around well funny you should say this i was talking about um an issue which i can't really go into the other day and i was saying well this is you know being backed by you know 22 former ministers and you know blah blah, blah x number of cabinet ministers and then I suddenly thought, well, you know, at the end of 13 years of a Conservative government, it's kind of hard to throw a stone, particularly this Conservative <laughs> government over the last couple of years, to throw a stone without finding someone that is, you know, an ex-Cabinet minister or a minister. It comes back to our point about, you know, how many people on the back benches are, mm. uh, are you know, former payroll, right? It's an extraordinary amount. I, I don't know, um, and somebody might want to do the heavy lifting on it because I lack the energy, on whether this is the highest number... Uh, you know, of, of former payroll on the back benches of any Conservative Party ever. It's mm. extraordinary. So, um, but I don't, you know, I, my guess is that even going into uh, what might be, you know, a bit of a reshuffle, uh, it's unlikely to be wholesale. You know, it's too destabilising at this stage of the game. Um, you know, reshuffles frequently cause more problems than they solve. Uh, there is obviously a need to find a, uh, a steady, good, well-respected pair of hands to replace Ben Wallace, who's yeah. already said that he's going to stand down as Defence Secretary at the next reshuffle. 
which he anticipates to be in September, um, uh, and also to stand down as an MP. You've got, you know, what is it? I, I forget the numbers now, but something like, you know, 50 plus MPs who are already saying that they're going to stand down from the Conservative Party and, and more across the piece. So there's not actually a lot of a, of a, of a talent pool, if you like, uh, to draw from anyway. And nor, actually, even if there was, nor do I think this would be a wholesale reshuffle anyway. There will be some, uh, there'll be, I would anticipate there will be some, uh, you know, big promotions for some well-performing ministers, particularly women ministers, uh, maybe a key couple of new appointments, but you're not going to, you know, you're not going to replace the shadow chancellor right now. You're not going to replace the foreign secretary right now. You just, you know, you want to be steady as she goes into an election. And a lot of these people are just getting to grips with their brief um, and the possibility of replacing them with somebody, you know, who has to start all over again at this particular stage strikes me as unlikely it seems to me very much if you are going to have one it will be on a kind of first do no harm principle mm. uh yeah i think on the uh on the standing down i think it's about 44 conservative mps uh yes this is as of the 18th of july 44 conservative uh 14 labor and eight SNP MPs all standing down for independence on the way out as well. Um, I'm interested as well, you mentioned Ben Wallace. One of my other considerations just around reshuffle chat is the fact that, that he has announced he will go, which is quite unusual in some ways. But I wonder actually if there's a consideration here that in theory it could allow for some sort of handover of what is quite a big brief in the Defence Department, the Ministry of Defence, and actually, by by knowing that he's on the way out, uh, you could then, in theory, line up the next person and do some sort of managed transition instead of this knee-jerk handbrake turn of people parading up Downing Street and and walking out with a great job. I don't, in the, that's how a business would be run. It's it's fair to say that there'd be some sort of handover period. Is, could we could we set some precedent here? Well, it's a it's a nice theory, but uh, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it jars up against the fact that, to be fair, Ben Wallace's hand was forced mm. by a briefing from someone in government. He's not particularly inclined to point fingers on this one, and it's been interesting. Uh, he did a uh, brilliant, free-ranging, and very honest interview with Tim Shipman, who we harped yes, at the Sunday do. Times last week. Um, where he was very clear that actually one of the things he was very mindful about in announcing this was not for it to be seen as a uh, a measure of Sunak's government, nor did he want it to overshadow the by-elections that we can't talk about. <laughs> and he told Rishi Sunak about a month ago about his intentions and was planning to do it uh, deeper into the summer when it was less problematic, but kind of someone beat him to the punch. So that is that is why the timing is, is what it is. Uh, having said that, um, uh, he is uh, the longest serving Conservative Defence Secretary since Winston Churchill. He is hugely and highly regarded by the armed forces. Uh, I think that Rishi Sunak will be looking for somebody very much in his mould. Um, and you, know, you wouldn't have to look very far from someone that is respected like Penny Mordaunt for argument's mm. sake to be you know, a potential relatively smooth replacement. I don't... I don't uh, Recognise that the only choices are is a screeching handbrake turn or a, or a managed transition. There is a there is a sort of halfway like for like and mm. and perhaps you know James Heapy has has been in in post for a long time as the number two. Penny Morden has done the job before and she's very well respected too. And I think both of them 
would command the respect of the military on the way out. Um, with characteristic Ben Wallace uh, honesty, though, he uh, he would have been remiss not to have done the interview without uh, continuing to do what he's done throughout his um, uh, time as Defence Secretary, which is to uh, routinely advocate for an increase in spending. Mm. Um, there is a very gentle sideswipe about promises about uh, defence spending as a proportion of GDP. And he's very honest about the potential threats that Britain faces going forward and the timeline on them, which is extraordinary. And he said, look, you know, we live in a very destabilised and dangerous world. We're not just talking about, you know, the need for greater intel and cyber security. We're talking potentially about boots on the ground. We're not mm. just talking about a Cold War. And he's identified, obviously, the emerging and ongoing threats from China, from Vladimir Putin's Russia. And interestingly, he's singled out, you know, the rise again of jihadi terrorism in North Africa uh, as the sorts of things that keep him awake at night. So... Uh, he's he's going out as he as he as he stayed throughout the post, which is to continue to 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 make the argument that we are in a dangerous world now and we cannot afford to cut back on our armed forces. Thanks, Kirsty. Thanks very much. Thanks for doing this. Um, Whitehall Sources brings you political analysis from those who have lived it and who have worked in behind the door of Number Ten Downing Street, as Kirsty did with Theresa May. Uh, that's why she comes out with things like. The standard dangle trick. Do you have any fun? <laughs> Did you do some standard dangle tricks in your day? <laughs> uh, I couldn't possibly. Couldn't. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but the, the, this one has had me smiling all week. This really? one, oh, there might be a reshuffle. I'm like, mm, okay. And like I say, I will caveat it so I don't end up entirely with egg on my face. There's, <laughs> there's plenty of things that you know I don't know. But let's put it this way: I would be very, 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 very surprised. <laughs> Uh, if there's a reshuffle this side of the recess. Understood. Uh, Kirsty Buchanan, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're here all throughout recess for you, of course, with the best political analysis on whatever happens. And at some point, we will be able to speak about the by-election, so that'll be fun, won't it? Uh, stay with us over the next few weeks, and of course, pop your emails to us as well. We'd love to read those. The email address is hello at whitehallsources.com, and we will speak to you next week. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.